It's a bad behavior to have a, to have consumer finance accounts on your profile, especially if you want to become what we call a professional borrower, right? You want to be a pro at borrowing. They discount any look and feel of being a consumer. So there's one. Now, guys, don't go close your account, your unused buckle account, right? Don't close your accounts because they're still contributing to your profile. There's a formula that you have to that you have to go through to determine a closing date. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. This is the show where we help you escape the Wall Street casino and build your wealth by investing in Main Street. Today, our guest is Merrill Chandler from GetFundableBootCamp.com. Today, we're talking about the principles of fundability and the good debt that it takes to build a real estate portfolio, scale a real estate portfolio, build a business, buy a franchise, all that great stuff. That's a lot of those things are financed using creative debt. And and you have to be as Merrill, the term that Merrill uses, you have to be fundable in order to access some of those monies to get access to some of that low, relatively low interest debt with certain fantastic terms. You have to be able to actually obtain a debt. And this is a very high energy interview. We get into a lot of the topics around making yourself fundable, getting to the point where you can access some of this debt to fuel your investments and grow faster. We also talk about some ways in which folks use this debt, some of his clients, how they use this debt. And a lot of great lessons in this one because a lot of you know businesses that you see, real estate investments or, or franchises, a lot of these run and are financed on excellent debt terms. And that's what we're diving into today with Merrill Chandler. Like I said, it's a very high energy interview and it was a lot of fun. You're going to enjoy listening. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I always learn new things from all of my guests. And today is certainly no exception. I'm sure you will as well. If you do enjoy the show, I ask that you take a quick second, go to the Apple Podcasts app, leave us a rating or interview, five stars if you don't mind. It's much appreciated. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem that helps other people get their you know ears on the show, helps them escape Wall Street as well. And we all learn and grow together. It also helps me because I get to see what you guys write and it makes me feel good. I surely appreciate it. And I see that you're out there learning and growing along with us. If you haven't yet, take a second, go to your favorite podcast app, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, give us a subscribe, and that way you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, and you will escape the casino along with us. Without any further ado, here we go with Merrill Chandler. Merrill, thank you for joining us today. Well, I'm glad to be here. It, uh, I'm Seriously, it's always so much fun to be able to talk to an audience of real estate investors. So I'm glad to be here. Anything I can do to help, I'm all in. Hey, it's been a lot of fun talking to you so far. And I'm sure we're going to have a great time actually recording the interview today. And this is a very important topic for folks that want to start in business or scale in business. We're going to talk about debt and all that great stuff around it, the good kind of debt. For our listeners that don't know about your background, can you tell us a bit about uh, what you do in your business and give us that intro? Yeah. So in 1992, so some of you weren't even born, but in 1992, I I, 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 well, nice. I co-founded Lexington Law Firm. 
the single, what today is the single largest credit repair law firm in the country. Most people have heard of it if they've had anything to do with credit repair. The problem was at Lexington, we would help people delete a few negative items, but it never got them in front of a mortgage broker, got them a car, or got them approved with lenders. It just reduced some of the bad apples that were sitting on their funding tree, right? So what we, so what I did was I, I, I left Lexington and built this, what we call fundability, you know, the ability to get funded. The only thing that matters is when you go to fill out an application is whether or not a lender is going to lend to you. It isn't about your credit score. It isn't about any of these other things. It's, are you meeting the lender's guidelines? And so we built Get Fundable to do just that. It's kind of like our battle cry, right? Do what it takes to get fundable. And we'll discuss as we go. But over the last 20 years, I have now specifically enjoined the technology. I've met with FICO. The, the three-digit number we think is about credit score. It's about way more than that. We learned at FICO, we established what makes a borrower fundable and met with the CEO score development teams. So there's a lot of basically borrowers now have a seat at the table with lenders. Imagine imagine understanding what a lender needs to approve you and then you just go be that person, right? It's not about score. It's not about revenue alone. It's not about you, you could have a brand new company, but if you hit certain metrics, you and or your business can get approved for credit lines, business loans, etc. So it really is about shaping us to fit their guidelines. Interesting. So I think one of the first things that folks kind of get past in as, as investors and entrepreneurs, business owners, we need to get past this idea of good versus bad debt and, and figure out what, you know, what good debt really is <laughs> as business owners, right? Uh, Absolutely. So in, in, you know, in your uh, business, in your mind, what constitutes a good debt and using good debt, debt as a tool? Good debt is debt you can leverage. For example, if you want to build a lending relationship with pick a bank, doesn't matter, then the more credit instruments you have with that bank, they get to measure how you treat their money. And if you're really good at it and you hit, like I said, if you hit those approval guidelines, they're going to uh, give you more and more and more up to the tune of credit lines of $100,000 or more, business loans to $100,000 or more, credit cards, et cetera. So I call good debt, debt that I can leverage, debt that I can either use the OPM to put into syndications or take down a property, write a check, do a deal, take down a property. That's amazing debt because I'm turning and churning through that credit line to be able to create a high paying or a, a big flip or a high paying rental, right? or long-term rental. So good debt is leverageable debt. Hmm, interesting. Okay. So, you know, when we especially first get started in real estate, we're probably familiar with, you know, we have a mortgage on our house. So that's the way we know how to buy a piece of real estate because we probably did it maybe once or twice, you know, buying our own properties. But we see that that it, it's tough to do. Like it's kind of tough to get those additional mortgages, especially after you get a, a couple deep. And if you're doing kind of faster turn deals, it's kind of slow money. It's, it's a little tougher to handle. And you mentioned a few ways in which, you know, folks use lines of credit as real estate investors. You meant investing in syndications, which is interesting and a little odd. What are some others that, you know, in, in your experience you see happening in real estate? All right. So first of all, you teed it up perfectly. Most real estate investors, especially individual homeowners, it's, it's crazy. 
Think of putting your first on your house as not a loan, but a home equity line of credit as your first. Now you have 100, 200, 300, 500. So right now, let's say you buy a $300,000 house and you've got a $280,000 HELOC as the first, not a loan. Every payment, you know, most of us are aggressive about trying to reduce payments as fast as possible. But when you have a HELOC, every dollar you pay it down gives you room to write a check and start investing in other things. And and your FICO and lender software actually love the use of HELOCs. So number one, street, uh, strategic debt, right? Is in, I teach my clients how not to put a first, uh, not put a, a mortgage loan as the first, but to put a HELOC as the first. Then you've got room as you start paying that off. You can now start leveraging those dollars into other investments. Number one. Now let's talk about kind of unsecured. That's the secured line, right? Unsecured lines, if you're fundable, meaning you meet lender guidelines, you can get up to $100,000 from name any of the top 33 banks, what do we call the tier one and tier two banks, right? Wells, City, Chase, BB&T, PNC, all the big banks. They have models to be able to approve you stated income, unsecured, up to $100,000. Now, with a credit line like that, we'll talk about loans in a moment. With a credit line like that, you can, if you're doing hard money, deals, you can, a $100,000 credit line, you got skin in the game for two or three deals at a time while you're, so you can increase your production if you got the capacity and, and the will to start growing those, uh, that number, right? Do three a quarter instead of one a quarter. But we concentrate, we help our clients, we help our students get up to a million dollars in these business lines, write a check, unsecured business lines of credit. So what kind of, how uh, writing a check to take down a property, imagine walking into an owner and saying, uh, uh, no wait time for a 30 day. Like you said, it's slow. I don't want to wait for th- uh, th- 60 days to close on a property. Imagine the offer you can make and say, I will give you a cashier's check for 160 instead of 190 right this second. You now have a little bit of play with those. Uh, how much is that 30? $30,000 really worth, right? <laughs> now, maybe it's maybe it's discounted only 10000 but you get my point. You're sitting there, wag, it's like carrying a briefcase of money into their <laughs> thing. It's like, hey, I'm ready if you're ready, right? So there's the offer. That's how liquid a credit line is. So, and the more of these credit lines you have, Remember, it's it's an electronic on your phone. It's a transfer to your checking account, and you just went from credit lines to they're about three and a half, five and a half, maybe six percent interest, depending on how fast the interest start moving. But imagine dumping three hundred grand in your checking account, <laughs> creating a cashier's check, and said, "Here's your offer." So super super liquid doesn't cost you a dime until you deploy, right? But it's always on call, and the best thing ever, it's a renewal renewable resource. Think if you're using cash. You got, you, you, let's say we'll make it simple. You have a hundred grand in cash. You get to use that once and then you got to wait it out, right? And the cash, depending on how long it sits there, you only get to use it once. A credit line, renewable resource, renewable resource. Rene- you're literally write a check, pay it off, write a check, pay it off, write a check, pay it. I mean, it's fast. So it's really liquid and really 
simple, elegant, and effortless, right? Well, let's take a look at that same hundred grand as a business loan. This is what I was talking about syndications. Anytime you've got a longer term play, like for notes, if you're buying notes, you buy a note, well, how much can a, can a tranche of a hundred grand, 200 grand, 500 grand that has a three to five year, uh, three to five year, um, uh, term on it. And you're turning these things from non-performing to performing or you're rehabbing the deals or you're booting out the tenants based on non, non-compliance, right? Non-performance. You're sitting here with a three and a half to five and a half percent note for X period of time while you work out, while you work out the tranche, right? The other thing you can use those business lines for is to syndications, right? You might not be able to do syndications because you don't have like some of your friends or some of the other real estate investors. They don't have a 700,000, you know, IRA that they're self-directed that they're doing or they're not borrowing against insurance policies at 1%. But what if you win it? Three and a half to five and a half, six percent interest and cash flow every month on the money that they are, that the syndication is paying off for debt, uh, debt service. What if you cash flow on the debt service? And then at the end of three, five, seven years, you're picking up your 50% on your money, 100% on your money when they cash out. These are, this is super liquid versions instead of going a real fanny Freddie every single time or doing a commercial real estate, picking up a blanket loan, right? All these other alternatives are more expensive and take longer. So that's what my contribution to the funding problems of real estate investors and franchise owners is you never know when the next priority is going to change and you don't, you never know when the next opportunity is going to change and you don't have to use the credit lines until they're ready to deploy. Hmm, nice. So this, this topic of fundability is, is, it's such kind of central to your brand, right? And, and we would be remiss, I think, if we didn't address that and yeah. right behind you there on the image, right? And, and what that means, you've mentioned a few things about the priorities that lenders have. And I think that's pretty tied up with this idea of fundability. So, you know, let's break into that and, and sure. tell us all about so it. So what's fascinating is that, that when I started doing the deeper dive, like forget, most people don't know, and any high-level executive at FICO will validate this for you. For those of you who you know have a neighbor that works at FICO, they will tell you that credit score, your score, now hold on to your seat, your credit score has never approved you for anything. In fact, it is the fifth or sixth considered metric when considering you for a for a loan. In fact, credit scores are in charge of rate and term and the loan or limit amount, never the approval. The approval is actually based on 40 borrower behaviors that are measured behind your back. We call them the FICO 40. (laughs) They're measured behind your back. And so they dangle this credit score out in front of us. We're like, oh, look, I have an 820. I tell people who come to my boot camp or any, I'm like, I don't care about your credit score. I don't care if it's 620 and I don't care if it's 820. Does not matter to me because the lender's not going to lend to you based on that score. I want to know how 
your performance is in the borrower behaviors they actually do measure. Now, to make this even more fun is that they measure these behaviors over the course of a 24-month, the most preceding, the most recent 24-month, we call it a 24-month look-back period, and it's in increments of three months, six months, 12 months, and 24. So it's kind of exponential, right? Every period is double, uh, is twice the previous, or the, the, the square of the previous. It's because every period of time you do a behavior, good or bad, you get more juice or you get hammered more by fundability, by the fundability metrics. So we know what those 40 characteristics are. That's my meetings at FICO meetings with, because remember you go to FICO and you're surrounded by lenders. I get to start rubbing shoulders with, you know, uh, with underwriting teams at the banks and they're really excited about what they do. So I'm excited about what I do. And imagine this. Imagine becoming the perfect customer for every top-tier bank out there. Now, the money's not in demand. You're in demand. That's the whole point is put you at the center of everybody wanting to lend you money because you're the perfect borrower. Hmm. Well, yeah, I have a good FICO score, but I'm, I'm through this conversation, I'm kind of losing some of my credit score hubris here. So I got to look <laughs> no. at these FICO 40. And, and I'm not going to ask you to go through the whole list of 40. That's a big, long list. I'm sure, sure. And you don't want to rattle it all off. But are there any like surprising ones out of the 40 where we might think, huh, I didn't think about that because it's, it's kind of obvious that, okay, we probably don't want to have any collections on our record. We want to probably want to pay our credit cards off on time, that kind of easy stuff. But. Anything other than that? Yeah, let's, that we well, might let's, think about. let some of it's deceptively simple. Here's a, an awesome one for you people. Everybody thinks about paying on time, right? Most people, most borrowers don't know that there's actually a due time. And so quick story, there was a, you have to get credit for paying on time because you lose points if you're one day late and 15 days late, much less the 30 day late, you know, that breaks the soul of our profile, right? <laughs> but even one day late, here's the thing that your audience doesn't know. You don't get the extra juice for paying early. Some people mm. will pay two or three days in advance towards what's due on the due date. They don't, FICO isn't interested in the money you pay. They're interested in the fastidiousness with which you, like clockwork, pay by the due date and by the due time. I, I got a notice from Chase one time, this is a long time ago, but this is how I learned the principle and it applies to everybody. I was paying, I got a notice saying, you've been late six months in a row. I'm like, what? This is insane. Uh, I'm fastidious. This is my business. This is what I do. And I, it, I come to find out that the due time was 5 p.m. close of banking hours on the east coast i was on the west coast and so i needed to make my payment by mm. 2 p.m local in the pacific time for it to be credited day of the due date i didn't and everybody thinks oh it's by midnight because it's the due day no look at your cardholder agreements talk to your customer service reps oh and here's a freebie for your your people Never take anybody's, never take anybody's word as, uh, as a cons customer service rep. You verify until you get the same answer three times. I didn't say call three times. I said, don't believe anything until you get the same answer three times. Then it's 
90%, only 90% likely that it's true. So if somebody says, oh, yeah, it's midnight, don't believe that. Call again. If three people say it's midnight, it's midnight. But if somebody says, oh, it's 5 p.m., now you got to start verifying what the hell the truth is, right? So it isn't just due day. It's due date and due time, or you're losing valuable FICO points by missing the one day or not paying on the due day. You're like, I'm just going to pay it off right now. No, I don't care if you make 15 payments before. Make sure you pay. There is a balance to pay off on the due date by the due date and time. That is a FICO uh, model behavior. One of the borrow behaviors that we talk about is that they're, cause they're, imagine you got software there. They want fastidiousness. They want to see how clockworkish your behaviors are, right? And so they give you juice when you do it right. And the end you get kind of second class citizen when you don't, right? <laughs> so that is a simple behavior. There's also another one that most people, it's called the reporting date. Most people don't even know or think about the day your account is reported to the bureaus. Well, if you have a high balance on the day that it reports to the bureaus, you're being report. Even if you paid a zero on the due date, you're being reported on your credit profile as carrying a chronic balance. Yeah. How do you exactly. change that? How do you do anything about that? Exactly. So you call your bankers until you get the same answer three times, find out what the reporting date is and pay it down the day before the uh, reporting date to yeah, exactly. So these are, I, I hate using the, the term hacks, so we call them insider secrets, because you don't want to be hacking anything in the banking industry, right? <laughs> but but these insider secrets are how the game is played. We're not taught that, and these are the very things that make you fundable, because now you're matching everything that the lenders are reviewing. Here's another example. Don't hate me, guys. I'm just the messenger. So FICO and lender software actually downgrade the quality of your profile, your underwriting capability is lowered when uh, to the degree that you have consumer accounts on your profile. They actually have, so you may have paid as agreed. You may be perfect. You might be 800 plus profile. I mean, 800 plus score. But the more consumer accounts you have, you actually get yellow flagged and too many of them creates a red flag that you have what are called consumer finance accounts. It's a bad behavior to have a, to have consumer finance accounts on your profile, especially if you want to become what we call a professional borrower, right? You want to be a pro at borrowing. They discount any look and feel of being a consumer. So there's one. Now, now, guys, don't go close your account, your <laughs> unused buckle account, right? Don't close your accounts because they're still contributing to your profile. There's a formula that you have to that you have to go through to determine a closing date, right? But these are and there's 40 of these puppies. Nobody knows any of them, right? There's a difference between a national bank card and a consumer finance account. What's the ratio and what type of banks are are you know when they say um, uh, capital one? <laughs> When they say Capital One, it's like, what's in your wallet, right? I say, not your card. That's a tier two 80% card <laughs> compared to a tier 100% card, right? So there's a grading of accounts as to how distinguished of a borrower you are, how we think all credit's the same. No, it's never been even remotely close to credit is credit is credit. They, there's grades of credit and you're evaluated by the quality of your credit. Interesting. There's so much to learn here. I love it. 
right now. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Meryl, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? My best investment has been pouring every dime I have into the software to make what we're talking about, fundability, be able to uh, available soon on the iPhone, on Android, so that people can actually optimize their fundability on the fly. Awesome. That's great. I love those tools and getting modernized and scaling out to more and more people. Love it. Yeah. We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. <laughs> what is the worst investment you ever made? Okay. So I, um, yeah, this straight embarrassing, but Hey, I'm, I'm transparent. So in the run up in 2007, right? We're going, everything's going bonkers. Everybody was lending 120% on everything, auto loans. So we were harvesting equity out of Winnebago's. I bought a 57 Chevy mint condition and it was valued at like $80,000. And I bought it for 60 and change and it was valued and the credit union put an 80 note on it. So I 20 grand cash right out. I was just harvesting <laughs> equity out of everything. I bought a Winnebago for a hundred grand that was worth 175, 75 grand right out of the gate. Right. Cause they were, it was crazy. So now I have, I stockpiled like seven, 750 ish thousand dollars that I put in. No, no joke. Literally in, in November of 2007, I put into the markets cause they were going like this. And then, and then December, all of a sudden crash and burn. I'm like, so now the funny thing is, is because I know the credit markets, I was able, didn't do a bankruptcy and I, was able to settle with all of the creditors and work it out. It took me a cu- two years, but the worst investment I ever made was super, super easy access to money can make us be think that we have super access and easy access to investments and they're completely different universes. <laughs> completely. I can access money easily. I am not a willy nilly investor anymore. So that was my worst. That was my worst play ever. Wow. That's incredible. And you know, I was not, I was still in high school at the time, so I was not involved in any actual business at that point. And it's, Interesting to hear about that stuff in, in retrospect with my, you know, experience now just throughout this, uh, this most recent market cycle. That's interesting. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Probably corollary to what I just said that what I've learned with my clients is that, and I learned it because I learned this for myself is that I would rather support a client, get a 20,000, a 50,000, and then a hundred thousand slowly grow their credit line up to a hundred grand and then do it two or three or five, 10 times, but slowly grow up because the very thing that lenders are measuring, they're measuring, Hey, how do you use the 20? Oh, great. Let's give them 50. How do you use the 50? Oh, great. Let's give them a hundred. The very skill set to invest intelligently with a little bit allows the lender to give you more money, but you also improve your skill set at investing. The greatest lesson I ever learned was this tons of easy money meant like ridiculously long shot investments. And so I guess the second and the third questions are very, are very, uh, the answers are very similar, but now I've built an entire business model to protect 
others from making that same crazy mistake. You're, we don't help you get $1 million in 30 days. That's not how the system is built. But with great intention, I'm glad it's not. Because you know people just like I do. If you gave them a million dollars and they lost a 900 grand, but they never had a million dollars before, they're like, oh, I still got 900, right? Even though you just <laughs> lost a $100,000. And then the desperation slowly, slowly builds of how I'm going to Make up the hundred grand, and then we make further, further stupid decisions. I like the idea of lo- of low approvals. Even 10, 10 accounts at twenty each is two hundred grand. But if you can manage that, the lenders will give you more. And I feel good about coaching clients how to get more. So that's that's my biggest uh, lesson: is make sure make sure that you, make sure you you earn your way to uh, investing if you've practiced at making risky investments and know how to take your licks as well as your wins you're going to do it more intelligently right so it that's my greatest lesson nice well Merrill, thank you for joining us today bringing us all these lessons if folks want to reach out and get in touch with you if they want to learn more and all that great stuff, where can they find you? Where yeah, they um, it, 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 go to Get Fundable Bootcamp. There is no exclamation point in the actual URL <laughs> in the website name. But Get Fundable Bootcamp is uh, just, don't believe me, read the reviews. I mean, we have literally shook the real estate investor world with, a mat- we covered what, two, three things at the boot camp we literally cover the strategies to implement everything you need to, to become fundable awesome get fundablebootcamp.com much appreciated once again for joining us today to everybody out there thank you for tuning in if you're enjoying the show please take a second leave us a rating or review on apple Podcasts. it's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show helps us rank higher in the apple ecosystem and all that great stuff if you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe i hope you have a great rest of your day and we will talk to you on the next one bye-bye